This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. No, Michael, what I was saying was the only reason I'm not as pissed off as usual is because it's been a long time in terms of weeks since we've started at 3.30 for a 3 o'clock show. That's what I was saying. Not that it hasn't been that long, that it, it, the delay was 26 minutes, but that it's been a long time since this has actually happened. So, anyway, we're here now. And, and, as, uh, your, as your shirt said, at a reference to your shirt, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong rhyme to step to. Oh, the, oh the, uh, my shirt the other day. My Rock Kim shirt the other day. Yeah. Shirt. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so here we are. So, quick, let's start off with this. Let's start off with a journalism lesson, okay? Yeah. Um, journalism 101. When you're writing a newspaper article, uh, you know yes. that thing, newspapers, that thing that uh, you know we used newspaper. to read, that What's we used to newspaper? hold physically, used to fold uh, and, and, and hold oh. it in our hands. And, and, oh, yeah, exactly. that's what people mean by above the fold because this thing actually exactly. folded? Ah, exactly. I get it now. So when you're writing an article, you have your lead, you have your first sentence uh, yeah, or first yeah. paragraph, draw the reader in. Two three, no more than four graphs in is what's called your nut graph. Your nut graph is basically too the long. point. Your nut graph, yeah, you know, some people say too long. Sometimes the lead and the yeah. nut graph are one and the same. It's your first paragraph. Sometimes just second. Yeah. But if you want to back somebody into the paint, it might be a third or fourth. But after that, you, you risk losing the reader. But your nut graph is basically... Lead. That's the Wall Street Journal yeah. lead. Set up, set up. Anecdotal, your, your nut, and then bam. Yeah. Yeah. Your nut graph is typically the, the it's the point. It's the summary. Is if the reader yeah. goes no further, they get the news. It's where the news is located. I say yeah. all that, Michael, to say this: that I have not read a nut graph quite like the one contained in today's explosive Washington Post report, headlined "Congress Details Allegations of Commanders Quote Unquote Unlawful Conduct to Federal Trade Commission." All right, so. I'll start. I'm just reading straight from the Washington Post. The Washington Commanders and owner Daniel Snyder, quote, may have engaged in a troubling, long running, and potentially unlawful pattern of financial conduct, close quote, that allegedly involved withholding as much as $5 million in refundable deposits from seasoned ticket holders and also hiding money that was supposed to be shared among NFL owners, according to a letter, which you see there, sent from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform to the Federal Trade Commission on Tuesday. Here's the net graph. It gets better. The 20 page say, letter that could be that by the right. way, that could be a nut graph right there. That's it. That's no, because 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 the nut graph in short is why Daniel Snyder about to lose his team. The 20 page letter, a copy of which was obtained by the Washington Post freshly details allegations made by Jason Friedman a former vice president of sales and customer service who worked for the franchise for 24 years. The letter says Freeman told committee members the team maintained two sets of books, including yeah. one set of financial records used to underreport certain ticket revenue to the NFL. The letter cites documentation that the team's financial improprieties 
may have extended to tickets registered in Commissioner Roger Goodell's name. It references evidence that it says indicates the revenue gained by the team through these practices was known internally as juice. juice. And it details allegations that the commanders improperly attributed such revenue to being derived through a Navy Notre Dame college football game at FedEx Field or a Kenny Chesney Kenny concert. Chesney. Kenny Chesney, so that it wouldn't so that it wouldn't be part of the NFL's revenue sharing pool. Wow. In a word explosive. So it's not a matter of if it's not a matter of when because I can answer when it's how soon and it's it's only a matter at this point in my mind of how and to whom Daniel Snyder will lose his football team because they can turn a blind eye, look the other way, and sweep under the rug a toxic workplace culture, even though Congress, of course, this is what it came from, Congress is sniffing around that investigation, all right? They can have Daniel Snyder protect his, one at one point, racist team name until he couldn't anymore. Yeah. Now yeah. he has committed the cardinal sin, and that is you messing with the church's money and withholding okay. money and ensnaring the rest of the NFL in improprieties and unlawful practices that have now got the attention of the Federal Trade Commission. So I think, Michael, you may have referenced this a couple of days ago. I think it was you. Uh, yeah. You compared it to, to getting Al Capone on, on tax evasion. Is that, right, was that right, you? Right, In reference to That's this? It was, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yes. I, I, that came to mind. I, was like, I feel like we heard, we, we brought that up on the show before. I don't yeah. know how Daniel Snyder continues to survive scandal after scandal, no matter how many bodies he knows where they're buried for the rest of his colleagues. But at some point, and that point feels like it's now, they're going to kick him up out of the club, as in this boys club. Okay, man. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I, I think about all these movies, and I love scary movies, uh, and I don't know if you are into them, but I really get into them. So these movies where, you know, the villain, it's always the same thing. Yo, man, don't go in the basement. Don't go in the cellar. Don't go in the garage. Don't walk in the woods by yourself. Somebody does it anyway. They go down there. Homeboy's got a chainsaw. Homeboy's got an axe. And the villain lives. And you think you killed the villain? And the villain keeps coming back. Like, whole movie franchises are based on this. Like, Halloween, uh, you know that movie Halloween with Michael Myers? Like, Michael Myers was supposed to be dead the first time. Jamie Lee Curtis killed him, but now Michael Myers is back. They always come back. These villains never go away. And Daniel Snyder is the villain in the movie that has part two, part five, part 12. He, he is the franchise. And so, yeah, Mike, I hear you. I agree. But, ain't, but you Post. ain't seen this before. You ain't okay, seen yeah, this before. I know. Look, These, this is Washington different. Post. You did a good job of, of explaining what the nut grab is uh, to our listeners and to our viewers. Well, the Washington Post is not the first newspaper that had a damning nut, nut grab. The New York Times had one, and the Boston Globe, and the Michael, LA Times. Whoa, what does that got to do with the Washington man, Post? Come on, this man. is. My, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I don't think are you downplaying it. this? I'm, I, I'm. What I'm saying is, I think it's. I think it's everything that you say it is. I have lost my faith in the NFL to do something about Daniel Snyder because Daniel Snyder has been a problem for a generation. 
Okay, and he's I, done I, I, I many, appreciate that. He's he's done many terrible things, and and yet you choke him. Okay, figuratively, all right, people, uh, relax. Uh, you choke him, try to choke him out. He's still coming back. Ooh, we got rid of him. Nope, he's coming back. And so, yeah, I know you can't mess with uh, you can't mess with the league's money. You can't keep two. That's books. what I'm saying. You can't. So stop right there, Michael. This is like the allegations of financial improprieties came to light as the committee reviewed documents, interview witnesses, in its inquiry of the team's workplace and the NFL's handling it. of the matter. You think this no, gonna, you don't. You think he's going to lose? No, his you team? don't. Michael, this no, is not why. the no, same as you don't have it. Clearly, if, if, if you're telling me, if you're telling me, Michael, that. You've seen Daniel Snyder come under fire before and Daniel Snyder be the Daniel Snyder uh, be a problem for the league and, and nothing come of it. I understand that from a from, and from an imaging from a branding standpoint. He's been a sore spot for the league for a while, but you're acting like this is the same thing that he's avoided consequences for before. No, no it's not. No, no, no. You're missing he, my point. He now no, no, has, I don't think it's the same. No, you're missing my point. You my said point I've seen this movie before. You said I've seen this movie before, I, and I don't trust it, the it, NFL it, to police itself and get rid of Daniel Snyder. I'm saying this is where this is this, ele this has been elevated, Michael. This has been elevated. This is not the same old, same old. You now have the Federal it's, Trade Commission, along with the House Committee on, on Oversight and Reform looking into Daniel Snyder in a way that it hasn't before. My Eventually, he's not going to be able to avoid accountability. And eventually, likely now, the league is going to say, this dude is, is a problem for us in a way that he hasn't been before. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I got you. Now, let me ask you this. Let's just get right. Let's cut right down to it. You said he's going to lose his team. You actually believe that? I wouldn't have said it if and, I didn't. And so... Okay, so when? Soon. When's he gonna lose? I don't know. Team? I'm not saying tomorrow. So, I'm not saying next week. Okay, you, you let me ask Daniel you a question. Let me ask you a will be the owner question. of the Washington. Let's, will he be the? Will he be? A, will, will he be the owner of the Washington Commanders during the 2022 football season? I, I think I'm, I'm not in the. I'm not. In, I'm not in a position to say that. I'm not in a position to say the time frame. There's a process by which one loses his team. Okay, they have to vote him out. They have to. There's all kinds of steps. He'll probably fight it. Because he's litigious, okay? So it's probably not going to be something that's quick, like as in tomorrow, and I'm not qualified to answer that. What I am saying is, this isn't typical Daniel Snyder problems. This isn't a racist team name. The toxic workplace culture was problematic enough to where it got Congress's attention. Now, come to find out, and they have evidence that he's cooking the books. So now the league is less inclined to protect him because he's withholding their money. All I'm saying is like he can't keep he can't keep he can't keep being Freddy Krueger to go to your, your your horror movie analogy. He can't keep being eventually the franchise of Freddy Krueger and, and Jason Voorhees has to end. And this feels like the thing that will finally take down Daniel Snyder. It's just that explosive and it's not and what I was saying to you. This isn't about a, a this isn't some news organization uncovering something through a months long investigation be it the New York Times or the Washington Post or anybody else. This is a letter from Congress that right. the post obtained the contents to so we can't minimize this as oh this is just another news story this is congress this is the federal government that is up I, his I, ass I don't have, and eventually he's going to be too much of a pain in his ass uh, in the nfl's ass yeah yeah i don't have a problem with the news organizations nor do i have a problem in this case with congress 
My problem is with the NFL and its treatment of Daniel Snyder over the years. Now, yes, this mm -hmm. is elevated, I as get you that. said, uh, on a scale from 1 to 10. This is the 10. This is the 12. But my man's been ready. He's been scoring pretty consistently in the 7 to 9 range for 20 years. And his last suspension, around this time last year, like I think it was around July uh, 2021, where he got his latest, uh, you know, slap on the wrist from the NFL. Mm -hmm. The NFL said, hey, this mm -hmm. is what we're going to do. We're going to take $10 million from you. $10 million. Uh, we're going to let your wife, wink, wink, run the franchise. You're not allowed to talk about football. You can talk to your wife at home. You can do that. Mm -hmm. But you can't talk about commander's business or Washington at the time, Washington football team business. And you can work on a new stadium and then we'll circle back and see what it is. I mean, they've always looked at him. I know. He's messing mm -hmm. with their money, but you know what I can see? I can see them saying something like this. Roger Goodell. All right. Hey, man, like, look, you know, we, we, we got to call you out because this is just unacceptable behavior. Uh, we're going to find you, uh, you know, X and X million dollars. We're going to uh, put you on a, 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 a repayment plan. You go give us our money back with interest. And let, let's say we're going to suspend you for a year. I just I'd be shocked. He should have lost his team a long time ago. I'd be shocked. Correct. If Daniel Snyder lost his team. As a matter of fact, if he loses his team, I don't have an NFC team. That's going to be my NFC team. If 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 he if he's out, I'm I'm down with the Commanders. Okay, I will just, so just celebrate. That's So just to team. recap, I just so you understand that I overstand what you're saying. I never missed your point. You're skeptical and you're not going to get your hopes up given how this league I Michael. I know I've, we've had how many Daniel Snyder conversations have we had just in the existence of this show. I can repeat. I can repeat the branding that you've placed on him. The most protected owner in the NFL. If not all of sports. I know how so I understand what you're saying. I'm saying we ain't seen this before. We, we ain't got to this level with him and at a certain point chickens are going to come home to roost. And chickens coming home to roost never made me sad. In fact, it's only made me glad. <laughs> I'm not an old farm boy myself, what? but I'm saying. <laughs> what? No, I, was gonna do that. No, I was about to do Elijah Muhammad's part. I was like, nah, I won't do that. I won't do that. Prop, that's what smart you move. said smart was move. very bad. Very bad. Smart anyway, move. Man. The country loved this man. Okay. Uh, at, in, at a certain point, uh, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a broken record at this point, but at a certain point, he. Uh, he, he's, he's more trouble than he's worth. So for me, it may not be quick. It may not be swift. But if these allegations are true, and there seems to be plenty enough evidence to support it, coupled with the workplace conduct, workplace misconduct investigation, that as much as the NFL yeah. wanted to make it go away has not, it already ensnared John Gruden. We know about that lawsuit. At a certain point, the NFL is going to have to start removing these problems one at a time, even if Daniel Snyder is going to be a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? How, yeah, 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 exactly. I just want because I mean, think about how many wars they're fighting yeah. on multiple fronts between Flores and Gruden and, and, and six attorneys general and, and the ongoing investigation into their investigation to your point, their in-house investigation that they didn't release the findings of. They just told us there's nothing else to see here while Daniel Snyder quietly returns to power. Now there's this. Now you got the F and, and not only is there this, this is an inside job. 
if you're if you're the other yeah. owners other than trying to protect your own interest or protect Pandora's box from flying open at your expense. Why are you gonna keep protecting the guy that's withholding your money? And and the thing is, he's just so um, he's just so dirty, man. He's just so dirty. All of this exactly. stuff is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. You, you talk about the NFL and how lucrative it is, and how business continues just to get better and better each. I was gonna say each year, but that that kind of undersells it. Every six month period business gets that much better in the NFL. You give the money and we're talking about the money that he's holding on to go ahead. Give that money away because give it away because that money is going to come back to you. It really is in a pool and it doesn't belong to you. And if you really are talking about shielding or, or, or laundering $5 million in a multi-billion dollar league, you've just you're just a criminal because you like you like doing criminal stuff. It doesn't really benefit you. It's not uh, it's not helping you build your wealth. You're going to be wealthy anyway with your association to the NFL. You're going to you've already made a great investment because you got into the league 20 years ago when when franchise values were at a let's say a level three and now they're at level nine. So why did you do why even do it? That's it's senseless on top of every on top of being dirty. It's senseless. It's not like yeah. he's really getting ahead with this. And I, I just want people to understand like what you said earlier. You referenced it earlier uh, in that post article. So instead of accounting for the money that 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 took place and the money that was brought in from an NFL game, he would put it under no say Notre Dame and Navy and then mm -hmm. he'd take that money. Or he'd take money from people who were on a paid waiting list uh, for season tickets and they weren't going to come back and, and reclaim their money. He'd say, hey, don't don't worry about it. Don't reach out to them. Guy. Don't don't give them their money. Can we, can we just let's say just that take, he's just such a bad human let's take, being? Right, right. Let's take the money and then we're going to make it juice. We just it's a jack. That's what he just it's it's a it's a straight jack, man. You you put your money down. And it, and it disappears. Uh, it look, I, I agree with you, Mike. It's, it's bad. I've never seen it before in the NFL. Now it's on the NFL. What's the NFL going to do? Step up. I think, I think let's see back the NFL step up. All right, let's go to break. And um, later on, if time permitting, since we've been a little compromised today, we may get into a, a, a person who was possibly going to be the commander's quarterback. Uh, it's unlikely that he's anybody's quarterback uh, anytime soon. Meanwhile, he fancies himself as a talk show host or something. Media personality. I think you know who I'm talking about. We'll get to him later. Though. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I know who you're talking about. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. I put myself on a very, very high scale. Um, and yeah, I'm not um, happy with the way 
you know, the season kind of prevailed from that perspective. But um, for better the way I ended, um, and you know, playing and getting a better rhythm of just me personally and kind of how I felt about my game. Um, I'm always having to like prove myself again in the year after year after year, which is to me just unfair. There's really no reason I have to do that. Um, so when I first got here, um, I just felt that I never was given a fair chance um, just to be who I needed to be to be able to help this team. I just never felt I had a fair chance on the basketball front <coughs> on any front. I'm I'm not asking for people to one understand me or appreciate anything. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not. People don't not able to judge kind of my appreciation and then what I bring to organization. I'm just strictly stating from when I first got here, the ability to be able to do what I'm able to to, to do for a team and the organization wasn't given a fair chance. I'm not sure what his issue was with me, or I'm not sure why, but um, I can't really give you an answer why things we never really connected. Maybe, you know, um, that's something that he has to answer, but I never, you know, from the get-go was feeling like I was having to like try to prove myself to him and my capabilities and what I've been able to do for this game. And it's unfortunate, but it's really not kind of out of my hands. You want to talk about putting an exit in exit interview? Um, yeah. Because I'm just not sure how you go back after. And look, Frank Vogel was already gone, but even when a reporter pointed out that LeBron and AD had there said, hey, we got to let Russ be Russ. He was like, eh, let's yeah. be honest. That's not exactly true. Um, Ouch. So I guess it, yeah. in one sense, Russell Westbrook fit in perfectly with these Los Angeles Lakers in so far as that he, like everybody else around there, is great at deflecting responsibility. Like Frank Vogel was the fall guy. Everybody else is like, hey, don't look at me. Everybody else is like, hey, that's above me. Even the people up top, like Rob Palenka is like, hey, it's above me. You know, right? Oh, it's LeBron's fault. It's AD's fault. It's Clutch Sports' fault. I'm not here to. I'm not here to run the front office. I ain't telling them what to do. You know. Ultimately, the only person that has paid the price for this season has been, has been the easiest target and lowest hanging fruit in the form right, of right, right. the expendable coach in Frank Vogel, the fall guy. Russell Westbrook, maybe, I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb. Maybe there was a disconnect between Frank Vogel and Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook could only connect on 30% of the three-pointers that he insists upon shooting. Maybe there was a disconnect is because the offense was far too often disconnected from possession of the basketball because of Russell Westbrook's turnovers. I just feel like the Russell Westbrook protection campaign is now gone too far. It's yeah, gone too yeah. far. It's like Russell has gone from polarizing and probably getting throughout his career um, too much criticism to obviously and clearly being a bad fit. He didn't trade for himself obviously and clearly being a bad fit with the Lakers to now there's this overcorrection going on where it's like, oh, well, you know, they let never they never let Russ be Russ. Russ being Russ was not what he was brought there to do. What we have here is somebody who was incapable of adjusting. He was incapable of adjusting. So a first and foremost, it was a very poor personnel choice by all parties involved who decided that what the Lakers needed was another ball dominant guard. 
that he was going to fix all their yeah. problems. That was a poor, poor decision. Secondly, Russell Westbrook never tried to evolve, never tried to reinvent himself. And maybe he's incapable of reinventing himself. And yeah, true. Yeah. Perhaps they could have figured it out if they'd have played more than 21 games together. 21 games. But in the 70, in the 78 games we saw Russell Westbrook play, and granted, he got better as the season went on statistically. But when we did see Russell Westbrook play, he didn't play well enough. And I didn't hear enough of that from him. Just like I haven't heard enough of people in that organization say, other than injuries, we sucked. Full full stop. We <laughs> sucked. And it wasn't and it wasn't the head coach's fault. So here's, I think uh, you start off the show with the journalism lesson. And let's go back to journalism, that great field. And let's talk about interviewing. And there are interviews where you're just, you're sitting there, it's, it's a quality hang with somebody. You just hang with somebody and y'all just yeah. talking. And then there are interviews where you're trying to get information out of them. It's not a, it's not a conversational right. hang. You are trying to get something out of it. And so right. I think with with Russell Westbrook, I think what the Lakers missed more than anything else before they started got to the got to the basketball part, they needed an interviewer with Russell Westbrook because as I sat there listening to him saying, "Hey, I never got a fair shot. Uh, I don't understand. You know, they they wouldn't allow me to be me. They said that, but they didn't mean it." What I want to know is, what do you, Russell Westbrook? What do you think you should have done this year? What do you think the perfect role for you is? See, like I don't think they ever got to that. They ever got to, hey, how do you see yourself at this point in your career? One, okay, that's that's one answer. And then two, how do you see yourself uh, at, with with LeBron James and Anthony Davis as teammates? Even though it was 21 games, but you're thinking at the beginning of the year, you think it might be 50. You think it might be 60 games because I think that's where the problem is. He doesn't either. He just totally is unaware of what he should be doing on a team like this or Russell Westbrook just doesn't get it. Maybe just doesn't get criticism playing in Los Angeles expectations how they shift when you're not the best player on the team or you're not even the second best player on the team. What does that mean? And he's always been in situations where he's been either the best or second best player on the team. He has never been third. And and now in this situation, they're saying, yeah, you got to be third. You got to be third mm -hmm. and you got to be third as a point guard, not a do everything. No, you got to be a almost like a traditional point guard. Uh, and I just don't understand like what he's seeing. Uh, and, and so it's on him. But it's also on the Lakers for thinking yeah. and, and it's on LeBron though. There those uh, general managers co-general managers LeBron and his no, uh, general manager LeBron and assistant general manager Anthony Davis. It's on them for sitting down having multiple conversations with this dude and then coming away saying, oh, yeah, we're good. This could work. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. our guy. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would you think that? Well, one I, I and, and you corrected me the other day and, and rightfully so. Injuries are an excuse because everybody had injuries. It's their fault for constructing yeah. this roster as such where the injuries to your top two players completely destroyed your season. Look at what the team look at what the team across the hall did with injuries to its top two players, right? 
So I'm not going to use injuries as an excuse, but I still believe in my heart of hearts that they could have been at least in the play-in, if not the play, and not firmly in the playoffs, had those three guys played more often. But the reason I pointed at you, um, play more often together. Excuse me. The reason I pointed at you is because you hit it right on the head. See, a lot of times look at the NBA and say, "Hey, you need three stars." Yeah, but they can't all be on the same level or they can't all view themselves on the same right. level. There has to be a high a hierarchy. There has to be a pecking order. That third guy, whether it's Chris Bosch, whether it's Kevin Love, whether it's, you know, Draymond Green or Clay Thompson or anybody else you want to talk about in recent memory has to not only be comfortable but fully embrace being a third star. Russell Westbrook never embraced being a second star <laughs> when he was alongside Kevin Durant. So why in the world would Russell Westbrook be able to undergo a paradigm shift and be like, you know what? I'm gonna take a back seat. I'm gonna do something differently. I'm gonna become a different player than I've ever been. And that player was wildly successful. No, he doesn't have a championship, but that player has had a Hall of Fame career. So what incentive does he truly have, especially when the other two ain't on the court? What's the so incentive? Why, why, championship. And, and so not trying to win. Well, championship. but. Well, but again, when the other two weren't on the court, they didn't have they, they didn't have a championship team, which we talked about with the injuries, right? So he's just be, he's like, hey, I only he only know. In other words, he only knows one way. He only knows one way to approach playing basketball, and he was incapable of changing. You ask, how could LeBron and Anthony Davis sit down with this dude and come away from that conversation feeling like he's the answer to our problems? You know what we really need? We need a guy that could take the pressure off LeBron James when he's not on the floor. Little did they know that he was be, he would be out of the, in street clothes as often as he was. But we need we need we need a, another guy to take to handle you know playmaking duties, right? You know what it is, man. It happens in relationships. It happens in partnerships or working arrangements, where somebody looks really good from afar and in theory. Somebody looks like you know what. This person, I could really we'd be great together. We we I, we could like we've been friends for so long. Let's take this to another level. I've admired your game from afar. How about we play together? Or you know what, man? We've always wanted to partner and work together. Let's let's start a business together. Let's do something together. And it's like, wait a second. We were just better off as friends. And that, and, and we should not because you know it is a money and blood don't mix. We should have just yeah. stayed friends. This to me is one of those relationships okay. where it's like it's not. I don't think it's an indictment of Russell Westbrook. Other than the fact that a he couldn't adapt and B he's not aware that his inability to adapt contributed to their struggles when they played okay. together. So and when he was on his own. All right. All right. But see, here, here's my problem with that. If you're LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you've watched him like LeBron loves basketball. He loves contemporary basketball historical basketball, so he's into it. He's a basketball junkie. He's played against Russell Westbrook for uh, you know, 10 years, uh, if not more, yeah. you, know, you know, more than 10 years. Yeah. You mean to tell me he's watched Russell Westbrook in OKC and in Houston How inefficient he's been. And, he's and, always been in and in Washington and in right. Washington. He's he was never like, been yeah. a defender. All right, <laughs> that's my guy. I'm gonna play with him, right? I'm gonna play. You know, what? I right. love I love like we would we would really be uh, fit well together. No, y'all wouldn't like Russell Westbrook. I would I, I say this and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan or I was a fan of his. You know, he's yeah, he's kind of losing. I've been the biggest over the years. 
I've been the biggest defender. That was, that's what made that hour-long conversation so ironic. I've been the biggest defender yeah. of Russell Westbrook over the years of anybody, but go ahead. But I would say, I've always said about him, his best situation, and he kind of went away from his script last year, but the best situation for Russell Westbrook is post, post-KD OKC. All right. Yeah, right. I, I think yeah. he's such a he's such a strong personality. He can deal with the score. He can deal with the score, but a score who doesn't have to dominate the ball that much. So Russell Westbrook and LeBron, yeah. not a good mix. It works with KD because KD George. rolled out of bed. Yeah. yeah. Paul George and KD okay. roll out of bed and get you 30 points on 15 shots. Yeah. If, if that. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody to, somebody so, so to Paul, offset his inefficiency with their efficiency. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Paul George was good. Bradley Beal. Uh, like he he carried Washington last year into the play-in, uh, into the playoffs. They made the playoffs. But on a team like this, Russell Westbrook is not going to help you. He's not going to help you get better. He's just not that yeah. kind of guy. And listen, he showed up. He played hard. He always plays hard. But to, for him to basically point at Frank Vogel, point at everybody else, and be like, "I never got a chance to be me," it's like Can I there was a there was there was a mix-up in the application process. Like you thought you, you thought it was one way, you wanted to be one way, but it's the other way. Like your job wasn't to come in and be you. You know. Quick answer. But again, here, here, they played twenty-one question. games. I can answer this question very quickly. And what, what was Frank Vogel's problem with him? Frank Vogel didn't want him. Frank Vogel didn't want him, but it was it was above his pay grade. LeBron and, and AD did, and Frank Vogel didn't. So that was the problem. Yeah. I, I don't think Vogel had a personal vendetta or an axe to grind with him. He was trying to win games. But and Russ wasn't helping him, him win team. games, especially at the end. It wasn't personal. Didn't want him on the team. No, but once he's there, you got to figure out a way to use him. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Today's not going to be a, a day of like finger pointing or unwinding all the specific reasons. We just felt organizationally at the highest level, it was time for a new voice. And um, those decisions are v- made at the very top level in a collaborative way um, by our basketball operations department and ultimately um, with Jeannie and, and Tim and the leaders of our organization. We just felt like it was time for a new voice. And that's not to, um, say anything against the incredible accomplishments that Frank Vogel's had. He was a great coach here and he's going to go on to be a great coach somewhere else. We just felt like it was time for a new leader. And that's why we made the decision today that we did. But in terms of what this team needs right now, we feel like with obviously superstars on our team, we want a strong voice um, that's able to inspire the players to play at the highest level of competition every night. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the resounding qualities that we look for in terms of holding everybody from the top player on our team to the 15th man uh, to a degree of, of accountability. Um, and that's going to be one of the many characteristics, I think, that jumps out. 
That's not to say that Frank Vogel didn't possess those characteristics. He's just got to go be great somewhere else. We, we need a new voice. And, and Kurt Hillen yeah. from ProBasketballTalk.com and NBC Sports uh, reportedly, allegedly, supposedly, uh, LeBron James is interested in Mark Jackson potentially being that voice. And, and going back to the conversation Michael and I just had, uh, if I'm the LA Lakers, LeBron James is out of the band when it comes to consultation rights. Like you've burned us once with this whole Russell Westbrook thing. So we appreciate that you may have an affection for Mark Jackson, but stay in your lane. You know, we'll take we'll take it from here. But having said that, Kurt, and Mike and I have gone back and forth on this. You see, you know, LA Times says that Quinn Snyder is not interested because of the awful way that the Lakers handled Frank Vogel's departure or firing. Jawan Howard is more interested in continuing to coach his kids at Michigan than he is uh, coming to coach the Lakers. I just don't think the job, for all the history, all the prestige, all, all the banners, all the retired jerseys, for all the Hollywood, I don't think the job is that attractive for a coach, a high-profile coach with, with, with legitimate options that's not unemployed, that's not looking to get back in the game, but somebody that's the kind of coach that the Lakers think they're entitled to, I don't think that guy wants any part of this organization given how dysfunctional it is. What say you, Kurt? I actually agree. You, anybody with leverage is going to come in and say, hey, first off, remember they lowballed. The reason, to be fair to LeBron, he wanted Tyron Lue. He had pushed for Tyron Lue. They didn't go that direction. Remember, they lowballed him. It was three years, about $6 million a year. And for a coach of that caliber, you're talking five years, close to $8 million a year guaranteed. Like, I'm not taking less. Remember, they're going to, you have to take the assistant coach, which we want. Rambis put up, I mean, uh, Vogel put up with Kurt Rambis sitting in his coaches' meetings. You, you tried that with Quinn Snyder. See how that goes. Like, no coach with any, like you said, any leverage, any options is going to tolerate this. They're going to come in and demand money, security, autonomy. And, you know, hey, if I want to bench Russell Westbrook or somebody else, I don't have to go through management like Vogel did. And, you you know, you've got to stay out of my meetings. You've got to, like, I just want that kind of control. I don't know. Are the Lakers willing to give that is the first question. Or are they yeah, just going to get another right. Are they going to get another replaceable piece? If they want somebody of the stature they're talking about, and, and Mark Jackson would qualify for this because I think, I don't know how well you guys know Mark. He's not going to put up with that. Like, he's not going to. Kurt Rambis isn't sitting in on Mark Jackson's coaching meetings, man. That's not going to fly. So I am curious how they handle that. Jackson would be a strong voice. I just, he coached great defense in Golden State. If if, if they don't think he's going to push back on management, like, it, it's worth a shot. I mean, it's just, it might be the biggest name they can get. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point, uh, Kurt, because I was thinking as you were talking, then you said it. Like, yeah, I know a coach would demand that, but are the Lakers to the point, yeah. are they honest enough to say, yes, this is what we need? And maybe the answer is no uh, right now. They need to be humbled even more, even further, before they get to that desperate point. Let me ask you this, though. Who do you think, besides Mark Jackson, is there anybody who stands out to you who you think, wow, this would be a good match for the Lakers? Th this coach would really do a good job for them. I mean, just, I think they could use, like you said, and, they, and I think Plink is right about this. They need somebody who has the gravitas, the weight, that can call out LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a coach's meeting and have them accept it. 
And they kind of put up with it from Vogel at first, and then things, you know, weren't working at the end. I'm not sure how many coaches, like Terry Stotts is a great coach. You can't bring him in and expect that to work. So I'm not, outside of Mark Jackson, I'm curious who becomes available. Doc Rivers doesn't necessarily have a great relationship there. I don't see how that works, but I'm not sure. I mean, Steve Clifford is a great defensive coach, but is that really where, is Steve Clifford the guy, or is he just another interchangeable part? Uh, that they can push around. So if they're going to genuinely go get a big name, I'm just not sure. I'm curious to see who comes available because there will be coaches and probably a couple we don't expect over the coming weeks. I mean, Quinn Snyder's name has been out there, but somebody else, there there will be other coaches available unexpectedly, and and that might be where the Lakers go. Yeah, I mean, and, and we haven't even gotten to the roster. We haven't even gotten to managing LeBron and AD and, and, and the lack of, you know, short-term draft capital. We, we're strictly talking about just the ability to coach the way you want to coach, way, which is why. Yeah. And by the way, Go if ahead. you want to get Quinn Snyder or Doc Rivers or Nick Nurse was never coming. I don't know whose pipe dream that was. But if you want to get one of those coaches under contract, first round pick. Draft capital. You want to get one of those up? At least one. <laughs> At least one. Um, so... Quinn Snyder, though, um, you know, maybe his stay in the playoffs is a little bit longer than we thought if Luka Doncic is is compromised for an extended period of time. So he's got that calf strain. Uh, oh, there, there you go. Hey, that is like awesome. I like hey, it. Kurt, hey, you, you, you got to see them. We using it. No, this is great. You, you got an animal house for real. Like last time it was a dog. This time it's a cat. The dog. This is all great content for us. So thank you. Keep we it up. It. And we love it. Yeah. Man. Like, trust me. Yes, this is great. This is great. That doesn't have anything to do with me until I'm on TV, like doing a stream somewhere or some exactly. other video. It's like, hey, yeah. what are you up to, man? That's what, they, that's what they want your attention. No, but I would just, I'm, I'm saying the impact of obviously <laughs> highest usage rate, rate in the league will probably, uh, you know, finish in the, in the, Top five on a lot of people's MVP ballots this year. Luka Doncic is obviously his importance to the Mavericks uh, speak for itself. Uh, speak for, but him being compromised in Game One, if not longer, I mean that, that changes the landscape of, of the entire Western Conference. Because every time you've been on lately, we've been talking about how dangerous Dallas is. Yeah. Yeah, but it's all but it's all been Luka based, right? Like yeah, Luka was fourth on my MVP ballot. Like he has been that good this year and everything they do offensively he's the hub right like it's even if it's Spencer Dinwiddie or Jalen Green you know I mean Jalen Brunson a secondary scoring opportunity because they're doubling Luca or guys are watching him off the ball and it opens other stuff up so much of what they do their offense is 4.4 per 100 worse when he's off the floor but in a playoff setting that would be even more dramatic it does it would be a big advantage for Utah? And by the way, we don't really know where where this calf strain is. They, all they've said is he had the MRI. He's got a calf strain. Jason Kidd's press conference today was comedy. Like he, they're like, well, I don't know if he's going to practice. I don't. He plays everything off because they're just playing gamesmanship. They don't want to let the Jazz know what's going on. And somebody go out and ask him, well, what grade strain of the calf is it? And Jason Kidd's response was, wait, they've got grades. <laughs> he played how many years in the NBA? Yeah, I think he knew, but he was playing it off. They're, uh, they're they're not letting anything go until Friday night when they have to declare him, you know, probable or questionable or whatever. 
Let, let me ask you this, uh, uh, Kurt. Let me talk about uh, the, the play-ins, uh, one of the play-in games tonight, uh, the one that, that everybody's paying attention to, or I, I would say this, the one that everybody feels like they know exactly what's going to happen, and that would be Brooklyn against the Cavaliers. I haven't heard anybody say, hey, you know what? Watch out for the Cavaliers. They might win this thing. I keep hearing, you know, Brooklyn's going to do it. Watch out for Brooklyn. Is there any scenario in which you can see the Cavaliers pulling this thing out? Because I just got this feeling. I don't know why. I just have this feeling that Cleveland's going to win it. What do you think? The greatest Lori Markinen game ever. I mean, <laughs> probably what it did. I went back and watched the game that they played last Friday night, which had some weight. And uh, they used Markinen on him a lot, on, on Kevin Durant as the primary defender. Um, Markinen's not, he's tall, he's long, uh, he moves his feet better than I think people realize. He's not going to, nobody can guard Kevin Durant, but he in particular, they just don't have the matchups. I, I, look, Brooklyn can't get stopped, so maybe a really hot Markinen and a really hot um, Darius, uh, Garland and um, if their whole team is kind of clicking offensively, you know, it's a, it's a great Karis LeVert night, maybe they can hang. But I got a feeling it's going to be one of those games where Brooklyn gets up by 15, and that lead shrinks down to five. Then they explode back up to 15. Then it shrinks. But it's going to be one of those accordion games, and in the end, they'll just have too much. I just, I don't really see how Cleveland can get enough stops in enough plays. If if Jared Allen were healthy, I think this would be a much more entertaining game without him. I'm just, I just don't see how they pull it off. With Paul George. I believe the Clippers have the best offense in the league since he's come back. Um, like seven, over seven games or something like that. Um, I love Minnesota. I love what they've done. Um, but I, I'm, I'm feeling the Clippers tonight in that play. I, I still think Minnesota can beat the winner. No disrespect. I mean, to, you know, the Pelicans or the Spurs, because they're both going to be a, a, a tough, a tough opponent. I think Minnesota can still get in at eight. But I'm, I'm liking the Clippers in the, in the same, much the same way I like the Nets, where it's like, yeah, there's some, you know, there's maybe some flaws there, and maybe the matchup doesn't break well for them in terms of who they end up facing at, at the top of the bracket. Um, but I'm feeling the Clippers tonight and as, as a dangerous team moving forward. What about you? You like your old guys, right? That, that's what it comes to. You're like betting on, the, betting on your veterans. Um, I actually picked the Clippers as well, only because the most fascinating first round or play in matchup to me is Carl Anthony Towns is the best player in this game. Like, let's make no mistake. He is an offensive force, best shooting big man in the game right, right now. Um, like he's going to get his points. The Clippers are so a versatile defensively. Like, Hey, we're going to throw Zubats at him and we can throw Morris at him, but we can throw Robert Covington at him with a quick double and then back off and scram switch behind. Like, they are such a high IQ defensive team that they're going to every, you know, this is Tom Brady going back and we're going to see a different look from the defense every time. And we're not sure who's going to drop and who's going to go. And if, if, if Towns is Tom Brady tonight and he's just like, Oh, I've seen all that. I'm good. And then picks it apart. I, I like Minnesota, but I'm not sure he can do that on this stage. I think the Clippers look, they have played in big playoff games before. This is not new pressure for the, the that roster. I think they can throw off the Minnesota offense enough and get enough half-court offense out of uh, Paul George and a, maybe a hot one night from Luke Kennard from three or something. I, I kind of like the Clippers in this one. Mm, I like it. 
I like it. Clippers. You got the Clippers. I got the Wolves. You got the Nets. I got yeah. the Cavs. It, that's going to be the that, well. That's going to be the best game. I, the most entertaining game is going to be Charlotte and Atlanta because nobody could stop anybody. But like tonight's yeah. the best X and O's game. All right, Kurt Hill, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for dropping knowledge. Thanks for dropping by. We will uh, talk to you next week, if not sooner. Yeah, me and appreciate my cat will be. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. How many? How many yeah. pets do you have? For for just so we know. Two, uh, two cats and two dogs. Rat and Scarlet are the cats, and then two yippy little dogs that my kids love. All right. So next uh, time, I feel for you. Bring them all. I feel for you. We're both, we're both <laughs> you know, we're both pet lovers. I, I got a dog. Mike's got a bunch of well, them. Well, just bring them all. I'm in a pet loving <laughs> family. Let's say it that way. I'm in a uh, pet loving family. <laughs> my wife is a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian. Exactly. Exactly. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The 63 wins. And watching them last night, I was like, ah, of course, of course. The NBA is not wide open. The championship run is not wide open. The Phoenix Suns are the favorites. The Phoenix Suns, if they don't win the championship, I'll be surprised. They're the best really? team in the NBA. Yeah, I'll be surprised. I'll tell you Memphis why. Memphis would like I'll a word. You, they are the best team in the NBA by a significant margin. So I, I just don't, but I don't as you know, in the West. that team nobody doesn't in the always. Oh, man. The best team in the a regular NBA season do. doesn't always win the title. Like you're talking like that Tiger Woods in his heyday yeah. taking on the rest of the yeah, Masters John, field like it, Tiger it, of the field sons of the field. You got sons. The sons, I can't go there. I can't go the, there with you. The sons are 1997 Tiger Augusta, Georgia on the on, 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 on the final Sunday saying, okay, where's where's everybody? Where's everybody? Oh, oh I'm here by myself. I got this thing. Okay. Let me just enjoy the ride. You know, every now and again, I need some help when it comes to Michael Holly. And <laughs> I thought that take was quite disrespectful to the Memphis Grizzlies. So I've enlisted the help of Kelsey Wright Johnson. She hosts uh, the Just Grizzlies podcast from Grind City Media. She's a Grizzlies host and reporter, knows that team inside out. I figured who better to help talk some sense into Michael Holly just handing the Western Conference Championship to the Phoenix Suns. So first of all, Kelsey, big fans, uh, welcome to the show. This is your brother from another debut. Uh, would you please talk some sense into my brother Michael Holly as it relates to why the Grizzlies should not be so easily dismissed as as contenders, as favorites in the Western Conference? I guess my one question to answer your question would be, did you not see the Grizzlies play the Suns this season? Yes, I saw him. I saw him. Yeah, it's nice. It's Let's nice. Look, <laughs> I, look, 
I, I have see Michael you've let don't, don't let Michael uh, take you down this road. We we love the Memphis Grizzlies on this show. We've had Desmond. <laughs> we've had Desmond Bain on the show. We always talk about the Grizzlies, not just the obvious John Morant. We go deep. We go deep on the roster. We're big fans. Big fans of Grind City, the history of, of uh, basketball in Memphis. But I just think in a series, Kelsey, in a seven-game series, I think it's competitive. But I think Phoenix has too much for, for Memphis. I think it's a really tough matchup for most teams in the league because they usually have just one more level than other teams have. And I get that. Like, they obviously, their record is the best in the league for a reason. The Grizzlies played them three times. The latest two times, the Grizzlies won. And the last game that they played them, they won without four of their five starters and another one of their point guards. They, they didn't have a point guard playing them. They still came out on top. And the Suns wanted that game because they, they had a little celebration planned because they were going to break the franchise record in wins with that win. They wanted that win. Uh, and they couldn't get it done. I mean, when you look at the Grizzlies, they, they broke what, 11, 12, I think maybe 13, if not, if you're breaking and tying franchise records this year. The Suns, yes, they're a difficult matchup for anyone, but if it's, it's going to be anyone, it's the Grizzlies, and they've shown that time and time and again. Like, you're looking at maybe Chris Paul, right? Chris Paul is kind of the leader in terms of running the point guard, being that quarterback. I think Ja, although he's young, matches up well. I think Dylan Brooks is an absolute beast when it comes to the defensive end. And Steven Adams is, I feel like, one of the most underrated bigs in the league. And then look at you guys. You talk about Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is one of the best shooters, at least young shooters, in the league right now. And when he gets hot, it's a hard it's a hard matchup for anyone. You're talking about hard matchup for the Suns. The Grizzlies are the hard matchup, I think, for the Suns. Well, speaking no, of matchups, if you, if you got, oh, sorry, wait, wait, hold on now, wait, 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 let's let's park right there, keep the car running. Um, so, in a series, mm -hmm. you would say uh, if, if they meet in the conference finals, you think the edge? I know they played them really well this year. You think the edge goes to Memphis if they're playing the uh, in the Western Conference Finals for the right to go to the uh, NBA Finals? I think that the Vegas odds would not see it that way because the Suns have had such a good season. But if you look at the actual matchups between these two teams and you look at how they've actually played each other and the personnel from one to five or one to eight, I guess, when you get into the playoffs, I think the Grizzlies have a better shot at getting past the Suns than anyone else in the Western Conference. But before they get there, we, we, get, we get a little ahead of ourselves. Because they got business to handle in the meantime. They had a couple of series to win yeah. first, starting with the seventh seed. And that'll be either the Clippers or the mm -hmm. Timberwolves after tonight's uh, first play-in game in the Western Conference. Obviously, you would pick the, we all would, I mean, probably pick the Grizzlies in either one of those matchups. But between those two teams, the Timberwolves or the Clippers, I know I would probably say the Clippers, but... You've seen them play this this season and, and you know how they match up Kelsey, which team has the opportunity to give the Grizzlies more trouble in that two seven matchup. Uh, I, I am with you. I would rather play the Clippers. Again, you look at just how these two teams match up personnel wise. The Grizzlies swept the Clippers with four wins this season. They split with Minnesota and I'm I'm more scared of Minnesota. Uh, like obviously cat I'm like low key have like some kind of PTSD with Pat Bev last year in the playoffs. Like I don't want that happening to the Grizzlies. So I would way rather, uh, I'd way rather play the Clippers, especially if, I mean, we don't know if there's a timeline with Kawhi, but they haven't said anything. I would take PG over cat. D'Angelo Russell also comes into Memphis and just like shoots like he's Steph Curry. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Don't love that about him. Yeah. <laughs> what for, for some, for, for people who don't, 
see the Grizzlies night in and night out the way you have. Mm -hmm. You know, there's depth and there's the ability to withstand the loss of your best player that's holding down the fort, right? But the Grizzlies aren't just good, they're dominant. You just referenced that win against the Suns. They're dominant without Ja Morant. Like, best team in the league statistically when Ja Morant doesn't play. What is it about their depth and their chemistry and their cohesion that allows them to be so successful without one of the best players in the NBA? I think it it starts with it's like a super cheesy thing to say but like they legitimately like each other off the court and we've heard from guys like Solomon Hill or Jay Crowder who were traded off say that it's just it's like it is different and you, you Stephen Adams has talked about it a lot this year too like he's coming on to a team where like they actually hang out with each other outside of the court but I think a lot of that is going to have to go to Tyus Jones, another one, like another such underrated guy. You've heard some some media members say that he's, you know, probably the best backup point guard, but he set an NBA, like in history, an NBA record with assisted to um, turnover ratio this year. And so I think you have such a luxury when Jaw is out to have someone come in that backup point guard position who not only has experience, but is just so solid. Like a lot of the time, say Tyus wasn't on the court. You would have Ja out and who, Zaire, maybe a rookie, maybe De'Anthony Mellon, maybe Kyle Anderson. They're just not ready to lead a team in that point guard position. Tyus is the absolute perfect backup point guard. And I think uh, the system that these that they run, it's just so ingrained with them. And, and even in practices, like you have Tyus playing with the starter sometimes even when Ja is in. And so I think they build that chemistry from day one in the season, knowing that, hey, even if we want to rest Ja, even if you know he's not injured and you need to rest him, we need to have someone to come in and still be able to man that. And Tyus Jones has taken that on like just perfectly. He needs so many more flowers. I wish I could give him a whole garden or something. You know, uh, Kelsey, we've all talked about Ja. We talked about Ja even before he got to the league. You know, uh, a couple of great tournament games uh, at, at Murray, and then he gets uh, to the league, and, you know, uh, it, that speaks for itself. I'm wondering, though, this year, though, this year the attention has gone up a level. What have you thought of the attention? What stands out to you about, uh, I guess, the world focusing on Memphis and then uh, being there up close the way Ja has handled this uh, this elevation in the superstardom, at least from a from a description standpoint. Uh, I I mean I think Ja is he has not changed, and that's one thing that I think Memphis loves about him is that he has one embraced the city so well, and two he's the same guy he was when he came in for his you know like whatever they call it when they come in and they like just got drafted like when he came in and introduced himself to the to the Grizzlies um and I think that's really cool of him and you don't see that a lot like we've seen I am positive and this is no hate towards LeBron I'm positive that LeBron has changed you know since day one in the NBA to right now and I'm not saying Jaw is at that level yet but I think that's something like he will stop and sign signatures he gives away his shoes he is still like so he's just so Memphis that it's cool to have a national kind of spotlight put onto Memphis. And it's it's even cooler, I think, for the city to have him really embrace the city itself, which hasn't gotten a lot. Like, it's a small market. It's, I mean, people would argue that it's not, you know, the best city in the league in terms of you want you don't want to come have vacation here. But Ja has embraced it so much. And, and I think that just bleeds into the rest of the team. Like, they just, they love each other and they love this city and the fans just love them right back. Uh, the only person we haven't, picks your brain about or you know in terms of the leadership is, is Taylor Jenkins and I mean there's obviously a no shortage of qualified 
worthy coach of the year candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, again, seeing this this team day in and day out. What's what's the case for Taylor Jenkins aside from the record overall and the record without John Moran, all the statistical superlatives we just you know have, have laid out throughout this conversation. What what is it that Taylor Jenkins has done this year? Uh, the buttons that he's pushed in particular to have this team flourish in the way it is. I mean, I wish that I knew what he did because I would bottle it up and sell it for millions. But I think you, when you say like other than these things, he's led one of the absolute youngest teams. Even when you look at like the Vegas odds before the season, they were still projected to be in that play in tournament for the third consecutive year. And he brought the one of the youngest teams, second youngest team to second record overall. Uh, in the NBA, not just in the West. And so uh, he's got these guys doing exactly what he wants them to do. And the guys are just so locked in. Like, I, I wish you could come with me and see them at practice. Like, he's dancing and he's with them. And he's like, he's just so great with them. And to be able to have that chemistry in his third year with these guys and be able to go from, I guess, year one was play in, didn't make it. Year two is play in, made it. Year three now to be second in the entire NBA and really be a contender in the Western Conference. I, I, I think me personally, I look at coach of the year and I'm like, what did the coach do? Like who's who surpassed expectations? And so obviously Monty is someone who he, he is a coach of the year candidate as well. Very well deserved. I would say the Suns didn't exceed expectations this year. You know, like they went to the finals last year. It would, it would, they should be good. They didn't make a lot of huge changes. They got Tory Craig back. Okay. And then Taylor, this team was not supposed to be this good. And Taylor has led this team to where they are right now. And I think in terms of exceeding those expectations, who else has done quite what Taylor Jenkins has been able to do? Yeah. Hey, uh, last question we got for you. Uh, I know you are uh, the pride of Toronto. So your Eastern Conference allegiance lies with the Raptors. So why why will it be? We know the Grizzlies are coming out of the West. We've established that throughout this conversation. <laughs> why are your Raptors? Why are your Raptors coming out of the East? Do you think they'll take my citizenship away from me if I say I don't think they are? I mean, that was that no, would disappoint no, me I mean, a little bit, no, but no, you'll be fine. You still you're be welcome. You still be welcome back. I would just be surprised. I mean, they're they're hot. I mean, I think it'd be upset if the Sixers beat the Raptors, especially without Matisse Thibault uh, in the first round. I mean, I think the Raptors got a real shot to to, to shock people at the Eastern Conference. The way they've been All playing. right, hear me out. I don't think they're losing to the Sixers, especially with Matisse Thibault out. I don't think they're losing to the Sixers, but I don't think they're winning the Eastern Conference. And I hate that. I hope, like, Fred is not watching. I hope Chris is not watching. I'm so sorry, you guys. I want you to go far, but I wouldn't put my money on it. Okay. Wait, who do you guys have? Who do you guys have coming to the East? I think the easy call is Milwaukee, for obvious reasons. It's easy, but, easy uh, call and the right call. Probably the right. Okay, call. maybe it, maybe it is, but I mean, okay, even just in terms of their path, I think they beat Philadelphia, not easily, but I, you know, I think they, I think they beat Philly. I like their chances against Miami. Miami has some of the same issues in the half court as as, as, as Toronto. I think they could beat the the Heat, and now you're in the Do conference you- finals. We'll see. You think they, so the thing about the Heat, it, at least to me, is that they are all dogs. Like Jimmy's a dog, Kyle's a dog, Bam's a dog, Tyler y'all got dogs. Dog. Y'all got dogs in Toronto too now? Defensively you know, you know now? Who's, who's the defensive <laughs> yes. stopper? Pascal? Oh, man, I can't. 
I, I can't I can't believe I can't believe you're just like I mean the way they force turnovers, man. I can't believe that you're just like yeah, or, 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 or are you just not letting yourself get your hopes up? Right. Is that gotta, what it, like, you know, keep, you know, you know, you know, because you got come on. I, I have a hard time believing you have not envisioned a Grizzlies Raptors fine NBA finals where you're going home <laughs> home and home for 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 Kelsey Wright Johnson. Yeah, I have or, been asked oh, yeah. a million times like who would you cheer for? I'm like the Grizzlies relax. You would, but you really, if you, if you, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, smart. But you know, you can't, you can't go wrong because it's like all, it's really a all Canada. If you really think about it, it's an all Canada NBA Finals because you know the Vancouver. One way to look at I it. Used to, mm -hmm. Vancouver, Vancouver was a great. Nothing against Memphis, but Vancouver that was a great place to visit. Kelsey, when the Grizzlies were there back in the day, nice city. Well, anyway, if you I hope, are, I hope, if you I hope did, it comes to that. If you didn't already believe in the Memphis Grizzlies, you certainly do now after listening to Kelsey Wright Johnson, host so. of the Just Grizzlies podcast. We appreciate you, and I think we're going to have reason to welcome you back. We, we certainly would like to have you back because I, I feel like the Grizzlies are going to be around for a while in these playoffs. So please come back. You got to come back, dollars. Kelsey. You got to come back right before the Western Conference Finals. Grizzlies Suns. Get ready. <laughs> she like, no problem. Light work, huh? <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Michael, got to give credit where credit is due. Um, way back in August, uh, you called it that Mac Jones would be the quarterback of the New England Patriots, and he was. Uh, I remember finding out as we were walking into a meeting in Stanford, Connecticut at NBC Sports headquarters yeah. and we found out and then uh, the next day you took a well-earned victory lap because you had been trying to tell me that Cam Newton was not going to be the quarterback of the Patriots. That's one. Um, you thought he was done. He wasn't. Carolina, of course, brought him back, which I celebrated. But before that, you also said that Cam should just get his career started in television. That yeah. Cam, Cam, go be a talk show host. Um, and I was like, damn, dude, stop trying to put this dude out to pasture. Stop trying to stop trying to end this football career. He's like, no, no, it's not shade. It's just he got a future as a talk show host. Well, every time I look up now, Cam Newton is creating content. Uh, one yes, day he's he talking to my girl Brittany Renner, and now comes a million dollars worth of game podcast appearance in which he's saying stuff like this. I had a, a perfect, a perfect example of what a man was in my life by my father. Mm -hmm. My parents has been together for 36, 37 years now, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in a three-parent household, my mom, my father, and my grandmother. And uh, I knew what a woman was, not a bad bitch. Okay, what's the difference? A woman. Okay. A bad bitch is a person who's just... You know, girl, I'm a bad. Bitch. You know, I'm doing yeah. this. I'm doing that. I, I, I looked apart, but I don't act apart. Okay. You know, and it's a lot of women who are bad, bitches, and I say is in, in, in a way not to degrade a woman, but just to 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 go off the aesthetic of what they deem is a boss chick. Mm -hmm. Now, a woman for me is handling your own but knowing how to cater 
to a man's needs, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of times when you get that aesthetic of like I'm a boss, like I'm a this, I'm a dad. No, baby, like, but you can't cook. Okay, you don't know. You don't know when to be quiet. You don't know how to allow a man to lead. Wow, <laughs> man! Oh man! And you know, hey, Mike, did you notice? They were like, "So what's the difference?" I mean, it's really they sit and these 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 uh, these podcasts, these sessions, is really a great example of. Oh, he's saying something. We're not going to get in the way. We're not going to put words in his mouth. We're going to let him say it. And he did. He went in. Now, I guess he could kind of, if he's going to defend himself, he's going to say, I said for me. It's not for everybody. I said for me. But it just comes off as sounding uh, really antiquated and very limiting. For, for what a woman is supposed to be. I know it's a personal preference and it's subjective. We don't all, uh, we all, all of our relationships are not the same. We're not all attracted to the same things, same characteristics in men and in women. But it just sounds bad, man. It just sounds really, mm-hmm. really sexist. I mean, that's it. It's, mm-hmm. just, yeah. it's just really a sexist view of what a good relationship is. What a what a woman is supposed yes to. Yes, it. Yes and no. Yes and no. And, and, I, and I, I agree with you, but I, I'm, I'm gonna add to it. So let's kind of unpack this little by little. One, there's the messenger. Uh, the messenger uh, has a pattern of borderline, if not overtly, sexist oh. commentary or interactions with public interactions with women. Yes. Reporters in general. There was that infamous listen to a female talk about football moment from his Carolina, his first Carolina snap. There's that. So there, it's Cam Newton. So it's going to blow up and be received a certain way because it's Cam Newton. That's first and foremost. All right. I think the, the irony here is that Cam said, but you don't know when to be quiet. As somebody who has been talking on national television for a better part of 20 more than 20 years now. I can relate to just not knowing when to stop, not knowing when to rap, not knowing when to shut up. Yeah. I am all too familiar with the taste of my foot. And so I think Cam in this instance got himself in trouble with whom he's in trouble with. I'll come back to that in a second because Cam tends to be about as precise with his words as he is with his passes. Like mm. he doesn't know it doesn't always come out the way he may have intended or the right way. He, 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 he struggles sometimes communicating his thoughts, which is why I don't take my cultural cues from Cam Newton. This goes back to any conversation of substance. Like Cam Newton is not who I'm listening to. So that's why I didn't get upset when I heard this because all Cam had to say is this is what I look for in a woman. All right, man. Well, good luck finding that woman. If that's what you, if that's what you think a woman's place is, right? If you want, if, if, then then okay. Do you see how many women? And maybe and I'm. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. Go find a woman that will fit, that will conform to what your view of a woman is. 
his where he got himself in trouble, where he went wrong. Is that what's problematic? That word? Yeah. Well, oh, the B word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's start. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, rule of yeah. thumb. Just like white people shouldn't say the N word, black dudes <laughs> or any dudes, yeah. any men for that yeah. matter, should not say the B word without permission. Right, and you probably still yeah. shouldn't say it then, but it shouldn't be just all cavalier you, especially not in the presence of other dudes. That's just that's just how I yeah. roll. I don't I don't just I don't just let it fly unless it's like you, a unique set of circumstances. And even then it don't quite feel right. All right. Yeah, exactly. So there's that even with permission. But, even with permission. I'm looking even with permission. Like, yeah, yeah, it's got it's got to be. I don't know. It's got to be in a specific set of circumstances where you right. know it's welcomed, if not allowed. You understand what I'm saying? So anyway, oh, there's that. But but broader, but broader though, broader. He got himself in trouble where he seemed to define a woman by those characteristics. So it was it went it wasn't just this is what I look for in a woman is if I know what a woman is as if to say yeah. a woman who doesn't cook isn't a woman as if to say a woman who doesn't know quote unquote when to be quiet isn't a woman as if a woman who doesn't let a man lead isn't a woman because I'll be damned if my mama your mama our wives yeah. ain't women through and through. Okay, Absolutely. if my mother-in-law your mother-in-law and and across the board None of them know when to be quiet because ain't no such thing as when to be quiet. <laughs> you understand right. what I'm saying? And they yeah. can lead just as much as we can. You understand what I'm saying? It's interesting that he yeah. stirs the pot by basically telling a woman to get in the kitchen. Let me say that bar again. He stirred the pot by telling the woman that that she places in the kitchen. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I really want to want to stress, Michael. There's a lot of not only are there a lot of guys a lot of guys who agree with Cam Newton. There are a lot of women who agree with Cam Newton. So his commentary well, hey, about what they want in a relationship is like, okay, that's personal. Here's where it really becomes problematic. When this kind of misogyny, when this kind of sexism, when this viewpoint of women permeates the workplace or permeates society at large, this viewpoint of women is the root for the struggle to maintain women's reproductive rights. This is why women legally in so many states, more and more states do not have autonomy over their own bodies. This is why Roe v. Wade is under attack. That's one. Two, this is why the gender pay gap. This is why professional opportunities, there continues to be a discrepancy and, 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 a, and a toxic work environment when it comes to women at work because men take these attitudes that they have at home yeah. and bring them to the workplace and bring them to outside of their home and make life hell, make our society hell for women. So in short, Cam Newton can want a certain woman who cook and clean and never smell like onion rings and, and got her own house and her own car. He could he could have that. If that's what he wants, that's fine. But to suggest that if you don't conform to those gender stereotypes that you're not a woman, now you've gone too far. Hey, and now you just yeah, got to exactly. know when to be quiet. And now hey, you got to know, know when, when to be, be quiet. Know when to be quiet. Know when to be quiet and let a man lead. Let a man lead. So you talk about the pattern uh, for Cam Newton. I mean, now, okay, let's add this. You have these comments. You had his comments to the reporter. 
about hey women in football. How can a woman talk about football essentially is what he said and go back even a step further when Jerry Richardson got into trouble in Carolina and they got him to move off of his franchise. Cam Newton was uh, he, he was a friend of, of Jerry Richardson's. He, he did not. He did not condemn him. Uh, it, it was it was it was curious uh, the position he took the public position he took on Jerry Richardson. So there, there certainly is a pattern here, but you know what Mike? And let me let me take a shot here. You said some women feel this way. Is this is this a what Marsha Blackburn was is this what Marsha Blackburn was looking for? From Katanji Brown Jackson? Is this, is this the kind of answer? Is this what you're looking for? When you say define woman, I want to know how Senator Blackburn feels about these comments. Is, is, is this what it is? So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this, this is, this is, is, you know what? I know I heard what you said. You know, you don't take your cultural cues from Cam Newton. It's still disappointing, though. It's still disappointing for somebody who has been in the public eye as much as he has, who has seen yeah. as much as he has seen and has had access to many people, has been interviewed by many people, uh, men and women, of, of varying degrees of competence and intelligence, and still to walk away with that kind of that kind of yeah. take. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's disappointing, I guess, but disappointment to me correlates with expectations. I don't, I just don't expect better from Cam at this point. But I guess I just wasn't, I expect better I'm not, than I, that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not outraged or alarmed. I got you. Well, we should all be better than that as men. But again, there's a lot of men, young dudes at that, like people younger than us. This ain't an old school mentality. They got people like Cam and younger that that subscribe to this way of thinking. And again, a lot of women agree with Cam. But again, it's disappointing but not dangerous because well I ain't what Cam is looking for in a relationship like Cam got to sort that out for himself in terms of trying to find romantic happiness in his personal life again where it becomes destructive is that he perpetuated something that women have had to deal with and still have to deal with that ain't in a relationship with Cam Newton. that's got to go to work and deal with men who view women through that prism that's got to yeah. leave their homes and try to have autonomy over their own bodies and their and their health, their reproductive health, and have to deal with men making laws about their reproductive health that view them through the prism that Cam Newton does. That's where it's dangerous. So Cam, I ain't worried about Cam. I'm worried about the rest of y'all. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk about being disappointed. I thought this was a bad take on the part of Kevin Durant when he said that People like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Nikola Jokic more than they like Joel Embiid. It's that simple. And I'm like, hey, how are you? Um, I'm like, it's not that simple. It's like, first of all, the media doesn't need any help when it comes to uh, discrediting ourselves. I think it does a disservice to the people 
who cast votes and take it seriously, but also does a disservice to the seasons that Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo are having to suggest that there's some kind of like personal grudge being carried out against of all people Joel Embiid like who doesn't like yeah. Joel Embiid let's start with that right right you know what I mean right and it's like it's it's not that close to where somebody's got to say well I like him more so I'm gonna I'm a vote for Giannis over Embiid because I like him more because he tells dad jokes if that was the case why isn't Giannis why didn't Giannis win MVP last year you know and what happens when Giannis right. doesn't win MVP this year because they, and, and not enough people even know Nikola Jokic to like him more than I, was I just thought say, that was a really right? uncharacteristically I mean, lazy basketball take on the part of Kevin Durant. I was I was like, no, man, like you got to do it. Who's like him? I, I I like a little bit more reasoning behind it. That you think that's it? You think it's as simple as the voters just vote for who they like? I mean, if that's the case, uh, you have some Kareem, Kareem would have a lot fewer. For, for, yeah, for starters, I, we'll start with Kareem. Yeah, he'd have a Kareem lot would, Kareem wouldn't have any. Yeah. Kareem wouldn't have any if it really if it really came down to a popularity contest, especially when he was playing. Yeah. Like now, he's yeah. a, he's a lot more embraceable post career than he was during his career. But I, I mm -hmm. like to hear Durant say, "Hey, I, I think this guy's the best player I play I played against. He's a tough matchup. He's carried that team more than anybody in basketball." Then okay, then we can go there. Yeah, but just. Likeability, right. not. Yeah, it's not. It's never. It's not that simple. We're better than that. All right, Pro Football Talk PM with Shereen Williams coming up next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.